HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Heritage Radio Network on Tour. I'm Harry Rosenblum from Feast Your Ears. Today we're broadcasting live from Charleston Wine and Food. I want to thank Ben's friends for making our coverage today possible. This afternoon we're focusing our conversation on building a sustainable lifestyle and finding balance in hospitality. Big thanks to Charleston Wine and Food for having HRN here. This is our fifth year in a row, and I'm very excited. This is my final interview of the festival. I'm happy to sit down with Chef Binta, uh, who is from Accra in Ghana, who wins the award for the longest distance traveled, I think, to the <laughs> festival, and also Chef Digby from St. Croix. How's it going? Uh, thank you both for sitting down with me. Oh, uh, definitely. I was going to say thank you for having us here, brother. How have your events been so far at the festival? been amazing um it's been absolutely amazing man a lot of energy like i mean it's charleston man it's a food town yeah so everybody comes out with good energy to eat there's such great purveyors and ingredients i mean and the culture in this town is so deep i mean it's just it's just amazing man and you know anytime you get invited someplace by bj dennis man it's uh <laughs> it's epic. that's what i'm saying you know what time it is already man for the time for the time you get a call you already know what's going on already memorable yesterday last night was memorable yeah. So, Chef Digby, uh, who's running the restaurant while you're here? Uh, man, I got a strong team, man. Rico's down there right now. He's been with me for seven years. I got a great squad, man. They take care of things, man. Awesome. Yeah, I got a firm belief. In, uh, ex- I learned this years ago. Each one, teach one. You know, so I always believe there's nothing that I do that someone else can't do. Right. Because I feel that anything that anybody else okay. do, I can do too, right? So, with that same notion, I try to make sure that they, they do all the right things and train them to be leaders, man. Got it. So, I have an amazing team that when I get away, it's really easy to let that happen. Nice. And, Binta, so you sort of have more of a nomadic yes, setup so, as a chef. Tell me about that. Yes. I, I come from a tribe called the Fulanese. Sure. Which is the largest tribe in Africa yep. as a whole. And we are nomads, yes. And we move around a lot. So, that has like a huge influence. Um, on our cuisine and also our lifestyle. So we are all over West Africa and that has really influenced me as a chef because I grew up as a nomad. Um, most of my ingredients are influenced by it. So I like, I'm just trying to promote the largest nomadic tribe and weirdly people don't know about their cuisine even though they are the largest tribe. Yep. And I'm also trying to preserve the culture because I feel like it's slowly fading away. And for me it's very important because we have a tradition where we all sit on the mat and eat together, which mm. I believe in community, and I feel like that's sure. a way to really bond with people. 
and just stop because the world is moving so fast. So fast. Everybody's doing grab and go now. Yep. It doesn't really allow you to stop and get to know the person you're living with. Ask them simple questions like, what was the highlight of your day? How was your day? How are you doing? <laughs> exactly. But you think that was the beginning of dinner, though. Yeah. At the table with your parents. And oh. really, that was just the opportunity to be like, yeah. yo, like, how was your school today? Was exactly. there a problem? Can we yeah. talk about it? And I think just having those conversations is what builds family and cool. those memories, you know? Cool. And I think as we're getting away from that and mm -hmm. it's like fast food and uh -huh. we're in front of the TV all day or we're out playing this and that and we're not connected, I feel That's like... All. Food, food right now is giving us a chance to kind of slow down just a little bit. Yeah. And let's just have a conversation while we're eating, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be too deep. It could be Ooh. as simple as just, how was your day? Yeah. Yep. It's how good was to your see day? You. you okay? Yeah. Are you okay? Mm -hmm. And asking someone that question, <laughs> man, it, it helps people, man. It, it does. It helps. Absolutely. It really helps. So, Binta, tell me a little bit about the pantry. The Fulani pantry, like what, you know, I mean, growing up, you know, I grew up in the U.S. I grew up in a house. We always had a pantry full of stuff. We had a refrigerator. We had a freezer in the garage. I mean, in a nomadic culture, you don't have that. Nope, we don't because we are always moving. Most of our ingredients are sun-dried and ready for on the go. So we have a pantry, but it's built outside. <laughs> sure. We have, um, so the way we, we sun-dry ingredients or store, because we do preservation a lot, because we are always on the go. Yeah. So things like even beef, we sun-dry. Mm. And you know, we are, because we are nomads, we rear cattle for living. And most people, there's a misconception around that. People think we eat meat a lot, but we hardly. We do it as a business. So we slaughter, we sell, and then we only eat the offals. Ah, so we live on the offals. And then we sun-dry these offals. Every day we warm it. So our pantry is mostly racks that we built with sticks outside and sun-dry. We believe in sun-drying things. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. And then as far as grain, fonio is the big one, right? Fonio is the big one. Millet, maize, but mostly fonio. Yeah. And fonio is an ancient grain. Um, it has been around for a very long time. Believe, yeah, over 5,000 years. Very healthy, gluten-free. Yeah. And there's been a lot of attention to it recently because it's drought resistant, yes. right? Especially as the world is changing, as the climate is changing, yeah. it's a grain that people can grow in places where, you know, I mean, I just was talking a few days ago with Glenn Roberts from Anson Mills about Carolina gold rice and how they're having a lot of trouble now on the coast here hmm. because of all the salt water. Sea is rising, wow. all the lands that used to be lowlands wet for rice, they can't grow rice anymore. So it's a big, a big change. Digby, tell me about. I want to talk about. I want to talk about the Virgin Islands. I, I mentioned before, my father was born in St. Thomas. That's pretty cool, though, bro. So uh, you know, I have a great love for Caribbean cooking, for yes. Caribbean food. Uh, you know, things like uh, cow foot soup and yeah, saltfish pate. Uh, yeah. You know, and and I grew yeah. up. I grew up. You know, going down there, and you know, we would have pate. It was saltfish, or it was beef. Saltfish, beef conch. Yeah. But when I first encountered like pate, like Goose liver. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what? I saw it on a menu when I was a kid, and I ordered it expecting nah, it's Caribbean. completely different. Yeah, it's completely different. <laughs> it's not the same. But when you think about the concept of both of them, there is like a meat inside of the pate, right? Yeah. And it's just like how the Johnny Cake was used for the journey. It's yeah. something that they took along with them. Sure. So you can see how the word changed over time. And you also have to remember St. Thomas was French. So it was no coincidence that the word pate would have got into our, into our ways. You Absolutely. Know what I mean? Wow. And then even Puerto Rico, you go there, it goes pastelillo. Yeah. And yes. in Jamaica, they're patties. Yeah, so one of my beauties is watching how every degree that we go north or south or every time we travel east or west, it doesn't matter, but every little decimal, everything changes by one. You know, the kalaloo changes by one ingredient. This changes by one. 
And if you pay attention to that and the accents and everything about it, you start really understanding the journey of all this. It's just beautiful, you know what I mean? Yeah. How have things changed in the Virgin Islands in, say, the last 10, 15 years? Because I remember as a kid going down there 20, 25 years ago, and my father talked about growing up there, and, you know, people were raising cows yes. on St. Thomas. People were raising chickens. There were gardens. But 25, 30 years ago, all that stuff had kind of disappeared. Yeah. Bad. I agree, man. So, like, I know St. Thomas went pretty far, man. And St. Thomas is a city, but they're definitely going back to the roots right now. St. Croix, we've always been the country. We've yeah. always been farm forward. So And right, bigger, bigger island. We're a lot bigger. We're 84 square miles. But right now, we're going through a complete renaissance, bro. And when I tell you that, I mean, you have people moving from all over the world as well as local people that are from there that are farming. Excuse me. And the people that are coming in to farm, they're not coming in with this mentality of mm -hmm. how do I mass produce? They're trying to fit in with what we're doing, small-scale farming, quality over quantity. And you're watching the resurgence now of the chefs, the local chefs who are saying, we want to use local ingredients. We want to cook food that we grew up eating, and we want to do it very unapologetically. Because if you know what Kujans or Virgin Island does, we don't need to say sorry for too much. When we do something, we do it very intentional. You of know course. what I mean? So the food scene right now in St. Croix, I mean... To me, it's the most exciting by far in the Caribbean because you get to see the African roots and the base of the easterly islands when you look at Antilles and, I'm sorry, Anguilla, Antigua. Then you have the, the Trinidadian aspirations in our food as well, you know. But then what's cool about St. Croix is that we're so close to Puerto Rico. So in the 1930s, the Puerto Ricans would come over to help us cut cane. Mm. When they came over to cut cane, they started building housing. Now, even before that, we had the Danes. Right. 270 years of Danish culture. Wow. When you look at Noma and what's going on in Denmark right now with their food culture, it's very relevant to why we have so much pickled stuff, fermented stuff. You were in St. Croix, St. Yeah. Thomas, right? Yeah. So you know you go into somebody's house and it's usually like a bottle in the back of a fermented guava berry rum or a fermented tamarind rum. Yeah. I don't see that in other islands. Right. And I feel like we have this, it's not just farm to table, we have this sustainability in the way we look at it. We have a melting pot concept. Mm -hmm. We have the land. And if you look at St. Croix, we're kind of off track, just like how Barbados is. Yep. So we're not in the same supply chain as everybody else, which makes it harder for the cruise ships to get to us. Right. That's okay with me, though. Yeah. Because by the cruise ship not coming to us as much, it allowed us to kind of make our own living. So when you go to St. Croix and you eat in the restaurants, brother, it's our locals. You know, so it's none of the, like, do they understand the food Digby puts out? No. My restaurant's full all night of people that are local from there, that they're excited about food, and they know they want to know where their food comes from, too. Right. That's, really, that's awesome. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Binta, you uh, do the mat dinner, sort of mat-style nomadic cooking that you're talking about, not just in Accra, but all over the place. I was looking, and I saw you do it in New York. Yeah. You do it in D.C. Yeah. So how do people find out about it? How can, you know, how can we attend? So um, we have a website. Cool. Um, FulaniKitchen.com. Got it. And then we have an Instagram handle, Fulani underscore kitchen. And it's nomadic. That's the idea. Since I'm a nomad, it's in my blood, DNA, I want to keep my kitchen going because I feel like that's the only way I can touch every corner of this wall and share this beautiful experience. Um, that's the way to preserve it by... Exactly, and more message and meeting more people. Touch a plate at a time. I always say a plate at a time. So, yeah, we are nomads, and it's a nomadic kitchen, literally. Do you bring a suitcase full of ingredients every time you travel? Oh, we smuggle always. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do, chefs. Me. We smuggle. Yeah. <laughs> you, get, you, you do better than me this time around. 
I got held up. <laughs> yeah. But I would say, though, one of the things that was really cool on this trip, though, is like, you know, coming from St. Croix, when I read my history, I read about two places primarily. I read about the first is Ghana. Ghana was where a lot of people came from. Yeah. And I read about Sierra Leone. Yeah. So when, you, when I'm, you know, it was like, whoa. <laughs> and then I'm watching the food and when I'm envisioning these nomadic stories to understand like these are the people that when they met the Taino people and the ancient Kalinago people that were indigenous to the Caribbean, these nomadic people are the people that created the cuisine that I'm eating now. So that means that from your nomadic tribe, I mean, mm. that, that kind of way found its way into our cuisine Ooh. as well because it's that, that people that came over. Sure. It's, it's, the connection is so yeah. yeah. And even so when you look many. at other islands, when I look at like Senegal mm -hmm. and Dakar and I'm able to look at like Haiti, we had that conversation last night. It's so similar. Right. You know, because you could see where they travel to. And then when you watch Haiti to New Orleans. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But even the music. It's very similar. But yeah. then you see Haiti does not come into Charleston because it's the port. Yeah. Right. When you look at Charleston, you see how it came up from Barbados, but from the Virgin Islands as mm. well. Because right now people look at the Virgin Islands as U.S., British, this yeah. and that. But some back then, there were a bunch of them. Right. We were Danish. French was over here. Mm -hmm. St. John was Dutch. It was Some of this was British. This one was that. And it was... It was a beautiful mess. Yeah. And people were traveling back and forth. Goods were being crossed. And I always say St. Thomas was the world's first supermarket. Hmm. Because, you know, I know they were trading big over there in Africa. And that was beautiful. Mm -hmm. But St. Thomas was the first time where they come across the wall and they're picking up some sugar cane. Right. And they're and they leaving with some guava berry. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Pineapples were on the boat. Now chocolate is now going, going across the sea. Oh. Corn is going to Italy. Tomatoes made its way over. So I tell people all the time, it's really exciting to know that I came from a culture that it was so involved in what we are right now today with food. Yeah. I wanted to ask each of you, um, are, there, are there dishes uh, or recipes or ingredients that you're using that you think people should be using at home more? Fonio for me. I would say Fonio. Sure. Fonio is uh, superfood, um, gluten-free. It's very healthy, light. I think people should use Fonio. And it's easy to cook, right? Very easy to cook. And we have lots of recipes we've shared online for it. Even there is a cookbook that just came out from an African chef. So, yeah. Pierre Fonio. Book, yeah? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Fonio is it's a good starch. It's a superfood, yo. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. For me, off the bat, right now, I would say turmeric, man. Turmeric, mm. ginger. Awesome. I've actually started growing my own turmeric and ginger in the yard. Nice. Um, if you had any of my food this weekend, I really took a strong focus on making sure that I was cooking things that, mm -hmm. not just to like, I don't want to just feed your stomach, man. I want to feed your soul and make you feel good, man. Uh. And I've been doing a lot of research, so I learned this new technique where I steep out to get the nutrients out of the turmeric mm. and the ginger, oh. and I cook with That's that. really good. So that way, when you eat the food, you feel that, that feeling in your stomach, and you know it's good for you, man. Is this a secret technique, or can you tell me? <laughs> I ain't no secrets in food, man. <laughs> I don't believe in Ooh. secrets in food, man. So what I Good. do a lot of time is, I, I call it turmeric water. I'll take the turmeric, I cut them in half. I take some ginger, cut them in half, rough dice them. And I let that roar with some aromatics. Mm -hmm. And then when it finishes, you know, I put a couple like basil leaves, little things to kind of accent it, and then st strain that water. When I start cooking like a curry or a rundown mm -hmm. or a Creole sauce, whatever it is I'm going to do, I use that water as my base oh. versus a chicken stock or sure. some kind of stock. And what I get is I get nutrients, I get a value in food that when I cook for you, I'm trying to make you, I'm trying to make you healthier. Yeah. I, want your, I want you to feel better about yourself when you get off that table. I've eaten at great restaurants across the world, spent $500 on a tasting, and the next day my feet are swollen. My body hurts. Yeah. You know, all the, the, the excessive amounts of fats. And 
I'm not one to criticize because I, I believe in great technique. But at the same point, if we could refine a little bit and get health into our food too, then it's I think it, it's way better. Like last night with the shea butter chicken. Like, you know, shea butter is something I have. Like, you know, I put shea butter on. Yeah. When I ate that chicken last night, first off, it was nostalgic. And I never had that, but it brought nostalgia to me. But two, I could feel as I ate the chicken, it just it felt good going down in my body. I woke up yeah. this morning, and I felt great. And it just it was so juicy. To where like 30 minutes to an hour later, like inside my cheeks, I'm still sucking it down, the juices and the oils. And it's just a beautiful way of looking because if you think about it, we only get to see the same version of food over and over. Like, over hey, this is African food. Here's your list. It's uh, suya. It's piri piri, right? Here's Caribbean food. Jollof rice. Oh, jollof rice. And yeah. they're going to fight whether Nigeria or Ghana has the right And I one, always right? say there is so much more to West African food than jollof rice. Yeah, and for me last night, man, you so gave much. me so much. I can't so much pride as being a chef from the Caribbean Thank and you. my people coming from Ghana because when I ate your food it was so out the box it was so traditional it was done right and I was like why is the world this is what the food they need to see you know it would change your mind on African food as the same way as I would try to change my own Caribbean food yeah. by just doing it the way we eat it at home the right way right yeah I, I love the idea that you are really trying to also feed the body and the soul with the food because I think you're right it happens to me all the time or Important. you go out to dinner and especially at a festival like this yeah. or you know people want to present you with the most over the top yeah. the most expensive bottle of wine the well, richest food the biggest now. steak <laughs> and you eat it and you don't always feel good the next day yeah. it tastes good in the moment yes but it does take a toll on you and so yeah. the idea that you then are balancing that with both something that does taste delicious yeah. but something that makes you feel good as well well the thing is being the caribbean man be just being honest you grow up you see people with cancer diabetes and all these yeah. things and over the last couple of years you have to be blind to not know about the effects of soursop leaves and turmeric and all these things so yep. for us to not add this to our cuisine is negligence i feel you know, food is medicine, and as chefs, we're, we're in charge of putting things inside of people's bodies. So, one, being honest is important. Sure. And when we source, it's important that we, that we put good things into your body. It's our responsibility. It's our, it's our responsibility. Yeah. Like, you can go to the store, and I get it. You buy your turmeric powder there, and you do your thing, and everybody don't have to do the same thing first off. And I understand that completely. My mission, and I would love to see more chefs, just let's take control of what we're putting into people's bodies, man. Making sure that when, when people leave our restaurants, they feel better and we're educating them at the same time. Yeah. So what are you most excited about, each of you? Like, what's coming up in the next six months or a year? I come in to visit you. Yeah, he's coming get, to visit I'm going me. to Africa to <laughs> visit you. I have to experience this. And I'm coming to visit him. Yay. Very cool. We, are, oh. we already have plans laid Amazing. down. Amazing. And we are going to just jump on it because I feel like the connection is here and yes. it's our responsibility. And when you find another chef that has the same philosophy as you, it's a movement then. Yeah. Sure. So we just have to. I remember BJ there together. too. Exactly. Mm. I mean, then, then you're BJ is, is an amazing chef. Yep. And well, like, then you're feeding I've, your brain. I've been thanking yeah. him for just bringing all of us together. Yeah. This is a movement. We're about to well, do something really interesting. Yeah. Well, you, well, you, see, what you see this weekend was we had you come from Africa and you brought a story and you brought your history of authenticity. Everything about you is authentic, right? Thank and for you. me, I would only pray that's what somebody would say. For me, I wanted to be, when it came to food, I wanted to be honest mm -hmm. and I wanted to be authentically Kushan and West Indian. I saw versions of jerks and all this stuff. I seen my food travel across the world and it didn't really represent who I was. Mm. And I really remember the moment when I met Chef Benjamin Dennis, brother. 
And that was a moment change in life. And he used to live in St. Thomas as well. Oh, really? I yeah, in 2004, that. he came down to St. Thomas after he graduated school. And I think he spent four years in St. Thomas. Wow. So, I mean, that's the Galagishi. Yeah. So the dots that got connected was, a, it wasn't just like the diaspora. It was moments in time through food. And food, it doesn't relate to just the diaspora or anything like that. Food is food and it relates to all of us. Absolutely. And I felt like this weekend we were able to capture a moment in history and time. And I feel like it's going to create a snowball effect that I, I just can't wait. Like, I'm excited. I'm excited <laughs> and I can't wait to see the next generation of chefs of all genres and colors and coming from all over take on these responsibilities, man. It's inspiring. It's, it's an evolution. Yes. Right? I mean, we, we spend a lot of time, and I think there's a lot of value in it, giving lip service to the history. Yes. Looking at the history of African food influence yes. that came to the South, especially we're sitting here in the low country talking about that. Where did shrimp and grits come from? Yeah. Where did collard greens come from? All of these things. But at the same time, we can't just be making recipes that are from 200 years ago. Okay. It has to be modernized. So much and, more. Yeah. And, and that's, that's been one of my, my things that was important to me is how you do it, you know? And I felt like it's, it's, it's balance. You know, jerk. And that's one of the things that was really easy to use. Jerk is a tiny little word for smoked underground, derived from the Andes Mountains. The Indians, the ancient Tainos, Kalinagos, and Arawakan Indians, when they, would, when they would leave on their journeys, they would take pieces of meat and they would spice them up with whatever they had, anado, and then they would smoke it. And then it became this thing where it's like a flavor packet in a store that someone just opens up and they wow. put it on their chicken. Right. And they say, and they put it on their axe, yeah, man, this is a jerk chicken. Enjoy this, yeah. <laughs> And then I come out and I'm smoking my chicken with pimento wood and they're like, well, what are you doing? No, this is authenticity, man. Because you're putting your soul into it. It's so food. Really, yeah, authenticity. Yeah. All the way. But I think we all have soul food. I think one of the, the connotations I always wish we could wake up on is soul food is not Southern American food. Right. Soul food is food from all across the world that we eat, brother. Because I eat soul food and Japanese food. I've eaten soul food in every genre. But what do you take your time in doing? So it's when you... It's when, what you say? You put your sweet hands in there. Yep. Mm. That's what we say back home. <laughs> your spirit. <laughs> yeah, your spirit. But the thing is, when you're cooking, that's all day. And I remember Senator Myron Jackson, we were cooking one time in his house. And he, he, he always goes back to Ghana. He okay. taught me a lot about Sankofa and just that energy. And he, he, I didn't just become who I was. I had people in my life that they, they molded me. Influenced when you, I became the ambassador, he reached out to me. And he wanted to make sure that as I was on my journey, that when I speak, I knew what I was saying. See? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, I can only thank these guys. And I remember being in the, we cooking, and my boy started moving. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> my boy moving. You know what I mean? He's older than me. He's about 55, 60. And we got the music on. And he said, Digby, this is one of the most important parts, you know? Because yeah. our ancestors, they love to dance. Mm -hmm. And this energy that I'm putting into this food that we're making right now, you're going to taste that yeah. energy because I'm transferring it. Mm -hmm. So you can ask anybody. Ask anybody out there when they're in a the kitchen with me. Miss Summer, I got music on. I'm oh, talking they did to that, you. By the way, the other it's day. a party. <laughs> I mean, the, the energy is so important. Professionalism. I'm professional. They don't get me wrong. I walk in, but I want everybody in that kitchen to feel the energy and the vibes that yeah. my ancestor passing through me. Because when you eat my food, it's not just the food you're eating. I want you to feel me, my spirits, my ancestors, my people. I want you to understand Saint Croix, the land, the soil. And I really feel that food allows us to transfer those feelings. For sure. Yes. Absolutely. I, I, I spoke with Quentin Middleton yesterday. I yes. saw you picked up one of his blades. Oh, yeah. And we talked about that, about how every one of those knives has a piece of him mm -hmm. in it. Yes. And that's going into the kitchen with yes. the chef. 
and then it's cutting the food that goes to the people that are eating. I it. can't but smile. That's why I use his knives. <laughs> I remember when I first saw him, I was I was I got invited to Atlanta, and I saw this short little um, video. And for my, in me in my lifetime, I've always used Japanese knives, right? Mm -hmm. And then it was like um, German knives, but they're kind of heavy, but mm -hmm. use the Japanese knives. Mm -hmm. And my whole life, that's what I did. And then I saw this guy in America, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm all about sustainability. And this guy is making knives the old school way, Wait. man. And then I go to Atlanta, I'm sitting down, I look at a chair, and this dude's sitting right there. <laughs> you know, and uh, he's been like a pivotal part, man. And just understanding that like when it comes to food, it's not just the ingredients you're picking out, nope. but it's the tools that we yeah. use. So when I cut that food, you understand that all my knives, I'm using a knife from a brother that comes from Charleston, South Carolina. And I know that energy is in my food every Absolutely. single time. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, both of you, Bless for sitting you. down. So, more information you can find uh, Chef Binta at uh, FulaniKitchen.com. Yes. And uh, Digby, where can they find you? Um, well, we got the Chef Digby website about to go up. I mean, just Chef Digby on Instagram is always the best way, man, because it's always like right there. We're in tune if you want to reach out to me. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to you coming down to St. Croix right now and hanging yeah. out. I want to come to Accra, too. So, oh, so why don't you come? So, welcome. You, you should come join. On trip with us All right, then. let's yeah. do it. Let's All right, we're gonna call it. We're gonna we stay in touch on it. All right, perfect. Sounds great. <laughs> Boom. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having us. Thanks everybody for listening to Heritage Radio Network on tour. I'm Harry Rosenblum from Feast Your Ears. This is my last interview of the day here at Charleston. Uh, thanks again to Ben's friends for making today's coverage possible. Stay tuned for more from Charleston Wine and Food. This program is powered by Simplecast.